Trades Work, the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dave DeVia. Welcome back to Trades Work. I'm your host, Dave DeVia, here with Jeff Tiemann, President and CEO of the Colorado Hospital Association. Jeff, welcome to our show. Thank you, Dave. Glad to be here. Well, let's dive right in. I know you lead the charge in the conversations in the healthcare space. We've witnessed your work, but tell us a little bit about what led you to uh, becoming their CEO and a little bit about your professional background. Sure. So actually, I was born and raised here in Denver, um, but left the city in 1997 and lived in Chicago, Washington, D.C., and Vermont before coming back. So mm. it's awesome to be back. Um, most recently, I was CEO of the Vermont Association of Hospitals, which is the same organization except representing the hospitals in Vermont. And prior to that, I spent 15 years in Washington, D.C., doing um, healthcare and hospital advocacy. So I've been in this space for quite a while um, and actually started my career as a reporter. Really? Um, so learned to kind of ask the tough questions, and now I have to answer them. I'm grateful I'm on this side of the mic then. <laughs> All right. So over the past few years, we've seen significant changes and challenges in our industry. From your perspective, what has changed the most about the industry? Yeah, you know, I think, the first of all, the pandemic, of course, had an enormous impact on the industry writ large. Um, whether you're mm -hmm. a physician practicing in a, in a doctor's office or you're a hospital or you're any other kind of provider or really even working in the field. We saw so many things that we had to adapt to and adjust and manage and, and do rapid response that, frankly, none of us you know, had, could ever really imagine. And I yeah. think that transformed the industry in a lot of ways, um, some positive, some negative. To give one example of a, of a positive, I think you've seen telemedicine and telehealth really take off because mm -hmm. it was so much easier to access care virtually or remotely. On the negative side, you, we already had serious workforce pressures in healthcare, mm -hmm. shortages of doctors, nurses, ancillary professionals, you name it. And the pandemic worsened that. The, the stress and pressure of working, um, just the shortage of people, the urgent need that was so enormous. So those are just some of the examples. I think more broadly in healthcare, you've seen um, a transformation from inpatient care to outpatient. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, you know, keep people healthier and hopefully they're out of the hospital. And a lot of more work happens in that setting than probably used to. Yeah, I tell you, we got to see the, you know, convention center get turned into a hospital. One of my members did that work. And uh, the same thing happened in Colorado Springs and up north. And, you know, to watch kind of in the, you know, front row as to how healthcare had to respond and just how tricky that was. I mean, I felt like our industry and in construction had a tough road, but yours just must have been a pressure cooker. And thankfully, we're here to talk about it. Exactly. So tell me, share a little bit more about what your members do to help ensure Coloradans get the best care they need. Yeah. So, you know, usually when I think about this question, um, I, I kind of think about it in a, in a few different buckets. I think it's important to point out, we, we take this for granted or we forget it, but hospitals are open 24-7, 365. They're ready to handle all, handle all manner of emergency situations that they have seen before and ones that they haven't, and, and to manage everything from a car accident to a global pandemic. And in doing that, I think they have to be faithful really to three important audiences. The first one is the patients, the people they are serving every day, 
Um, the second is the broader community that they're a citizen of and a contributor to, and our hospitals do a ton of beneficial things for their communities. And the third is their own staff and, and their own workforce. And I think when you see the magic that, that hospitals deliver, and, and I've, I've seen it, I've been, I promised my members when I got to town, you're an association guy, you get this. I said I'd go visit as many hospitals as I could. And yeah. so I've been to 80 plus hospitals at this point throughout the state. And I, and I can just tell you that magic and, and healing and hope it happens every day there, and it happens because there's amazing, committed people coming to work every day to to get through, um, you know, really tough obstacles yeah. um, to deliver to deliver care and be there for the people that that need them. Yeah, and you guys uh, rise to the occasion. I mean, it doesn't matter. I, in my early years, I don't admit to mo- uh, to this uh, often, but in my early years, I went to school to become an EMT when I was trying to sort through what I wanted to do and doing some of my clinicals in a hospital. Uh, was life-altering for me and changing. And I was only there for a few hours a couple times through my journey. That was enough. It is a crash course in chaos management, for sure. Yeah, and you know, the the rural hospitals, all hospitals face some very consistent challenges, and then you mm-hmm. have challenges that are different across the different kinds of facilities. And in rural hospitals, you have you have smaller staffs. Yeah. You have people who are, are in leadership roles but also play multiple parts in mm-hmm. keeping the hospital up and running and functioning properly. And um, that's just a neat thing to see. They're scrappy. They're resourceful. And they literally get up every day to do, to do right by their community. Yeah. And sometimes that's the sole employer in that community. Uh, often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the headwinds is, you know, kind of what's happening legislatively and from a regulatory framework perspective. And it seems like uh, your industry finds itself kind of in the mix of the conversation and really kind of the targets in some aspects. What are some ways in which you guys at CHA or the Hospital Association are working against or working to find good policy uh, and help course correct the ones that are going to jeopardize your operations? Well, first, for some context, I think it's let's just say that Colorado is a, a legislatively active state on healthcare. Yeah. So, you know, just to quantify that a little bit, 368 bills have been passed in the in the past several years that have some degree of an effect on hospital operations and healthcare. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, even if you take just a subset of those, which create really enormous or significant new burden, you're still talking about a lot of change that's sort of come the way of hospitals. And I totally understand it. Consumers and patients want the best care. They want to know they're going to a facility that's safe, that's clean, that's effective, right? That is all totally fair. And we think the regulatory system can manage that without overburdening providers yeah. and administrators and the people who are trying to just deliver care every day. There's a, there's a point of diminishing returns yeah. uh, where we're just regulating too much. It becomes difficult, if not impossible, to see where the benefit is. Yeah. Um, and as soon as that sort of equation goes off kilter, I think we have a problem. And I I think that's a little bit where we are in Colorado. Well, we all want the best possible care at the least possible price. You know, when we we operate a self-funded health fund, I was telling you a little bit about prior to the show, you know, when the Affordable Care Act passed, that was a net new expense line for us of a million dollars annually every year. And there was no corresponding or offsetting revenue. That's a challenge for us. And we see and have been actively involved in healthcare uh, here in my tenure here, but we have actually hired a healthcare lobbyist last year because 
the the frequency of the bills and the degree of complexity that they're trying to um, legislate uh, on the healthcare industry is far more than any one of us can manage. And so uh, we're grateful to have our lobbyists, but we we join you in trying to help make sure that we get the best possible price for the best possible care and that, you know, our covered lives, as we call them, um, have great access to care no matter where they go in this state. And from a consumer standpoint, I think, again, people want reasonable protections and regulation. Yeah. But I think if people understood that that came at the expense of higher cost in healthcare yep. because we have to hire a lot more FTEs to manage those mandates, then it would feel a little a little different. Yeah, no doubt. So your industry is uh, impacted like ours by workforce challenges. Um, and we are, you know, very active with the Common Sense Institute. And we are uh, starting to look at some preliminary data that says that, you know, the healthcare system in Colorado counts for over 311,000 jobs. To give you some context, our industry construction is 190,000. So you're almost twice as as many belly buttons in uh, your sector of the industry as ours, and you contribute in the billions. So talk to us a little bit about programs that you're proactively advancing to to attract people to healthcare, whether it be at you know, the nursing level or the ER doc level or specialty doc, um, I'm sure it's not just one sector of your industry where you're facing some of those challenges. Correct. So first, uh, of your 300,000 number, I believe we hospitals account for roughly a third of that. So the rest of the sort of medical industrial space would, would be the other 200,000 or so okay. jobs. So 100,000 roughly in, in, the, in the hospital space. Um, but you're absolutely right. The You know, in these 80-plus hospital visits that I've done, the first issue almost every time that the CEO or other senior leaders will raise is workforce mm-hmm. because it's their number one challenge and, and opportunity, I would say. Yeah. But there's, there's a lot of issues around workforce because it's not just recruitment and retention, right? Um, it's also housing. You hire a physician, tries to come to the community, and there's nowhere to, to buy or rent a home. So yeah. they don't take the job. The, the problem of making sure there's employment for a spouse. If you go to some communities, there may or may not be a job for the spouse, and then that could discourage someone from coming. We have challenges with daycare and available um, facilities and resources for daycare. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, an issue that I've been talking a lot about around the state um, and with with legislators is the issue of hospital uh, violence against healthcare workers that takes place in our hospitals every single day, and all of those mm-hmm. are workforce issues. They're part of this sort of broader constellation. So what I see hospitals doing is literally everything they can. They are growing their own by creating training programs internally and partnering with universities and schools. Some hospitals are literally building their own education mm-hmm. programs or even schools to start, you know, creating literally a nurse pipeline. Um, so there's a ton of creativity. There's also, of course, just, you know, I, the old expression that um, culture eats strategy for lunch. Um, mm. the, the hospitals I talk to that have the best retention levels, the best pay, uh, worker satisfaction reports, that kind of thing, they have a great culture. Yeah, People love to work there. They, they want to go be in the hospital because it's a great place to work. So I think you have to, you have to touch on all of those things to, to keep this going. And it's tough because our shortages are significant. Well, I think we heard from the demog- state demographer uh, here not too long ago that was analyzing kind of birth rates since 2008, 2007. And there's a lot less in the pipeline 
potentially coming our way, your way, our way, um, then we'll be kind of exiting that workforce, which is going to compound our, our problem. And so it's great to hear that you guys are kind of tackling that head on. You know, I'm, I take, uh, I take a pause for a moment. You're the second healthcare professional that I've talked to that's talked about violence in healthcare. And, you know, right down the street here, uh, from our studio, uh, is Denver Health. And, you know, I've been talking with Donna Lynn and, and understanding the, the struggles that they've had. And if you look at, you know, their finances and how in which they receive money in and, you know, the homelessness problem that they've had to tackle and just take on and the uninsured population. And it's, it's an imperfect model, but, you know, everybody comes to the States to get things worked on. And, and so our healthcare tends to be far better than other places in the nation. And so we're doing something right. That's for sure. And we need more workers to keep that game going. Well, you know, so to that point, I, I, I think I, I love the Denver health example, just because they're a gem in the city. They're a vital resource for the entire state, really. Um, and, and such an important provider. But you know, they're, they're financially challenged, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, uh, pretty significantly. And so are a lot of other Colorado hospitals. Yeah. In, according to our most recent data, as many as 70% of hospitals throughout the state do not have what we call a sustainable operating margin, which is at least 4%. And that's literally just the extra surplus you need to be able to reinvest in facilities, upgrade mm-hmm. equipment, um, you know, make the hospital the place that people expect it to be. And so that number, 70%, has actually gone up from 50%. And so that means that we have a, a sustainability challenge, really. Um, yeah. And the finances are tough. And and so I think we're facing those challenges statewide, rural and urban, small and large. And, you know, I wanted to point out, too, about the workforce issue. I hear about clinicians, of course, because that's the biggest need right. in hospitals. But I also hear about I, I hear about the trades. I hear about IT people. Um, mm-hmm. I hear about folks that they can't easily get, especially in smaller communities where you're competing with, um, you know, a town nearby or Vale or whatever it mm-hmm. might be. So it's 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 not just the clinical workers. It's it's everybody. And then you're also trying to pay them more against this financial backdrop. So always a challenge. Absolutely. And and I would tell you, uh, my, my good friend Donna. Lynn likes to point out it's not Denver Health, it's Colorado Health because they serve more than just Denver. And and hats off to her and the work that her team has put in uh, to just educate somebody like me. I, I didn't, I took it for granted. I passed by it probably a couple times a week and just really didn't understand the services and the number of facilities that they have and the level of care that they deliver all across DPS and, and and other parts of our community, which was, to me, amazing. That's correct. While our listeners may be aware of what happens at a hospital, many people don't consider what it takes to keep one up and running. How are our industries related and how important are the skilled trades to your hospitals and your members? It's a great question. I was recently in a hospital in Grand Junction that was doing a significant uh, expansion, building onto the facility and adding some clinical space. And because they were mid-project, I I walked into this um, space that was actually going to be used as an infusion center. So Mm -hmm. cancer patients would go for their infusion treatments. And, And because it was only half constructed, the wires were visible 
and the crew members were there doing all of the physical work, the carpenters and the mechanics and everybody was, you could see it in action mm-hmm. and you could see all of the sort of stuff under the, under the hood. Yep. And it was, it was staggering to me. It, it was a visual representation of exactly what you just said. The critical, the criticality of all of the people it takes to put together what I saw under the hood that day. And which is so important to make this really complicated and technologically um, intense thing work, right? Yeah. And, and it needs to work because it's, it's treating cancer patients. Yeah. So I think that's a vital partnership and it, it extends to all parts of the hospital. You know, we had, we had a boiler go out in a hospital in Denver recently. Yeah. Um, we had to get all the right people there to fix that rapidly because you're literally moving patients out and you don't have a lot of time and you got to have the best expert there and you got to get them there fast and, and they need to know what they're doing. So I think that partnership is vital. It happens across the hospital, you know, engineers, mechanics, plumbers, we, we need them all. They're they're there every day. Um, they're part of the sort of ecosystem of the hospital, and we couldn't do it without them. Well, we love working for your members. Um, Powerful partnership. It is, and it's one that is statewide, and uh, I know who's working on that project in Grand Junction and mm-hmm. happens to be one of our members. Jeff, in our industry, we are facing a 50,000-job deficit. Um, so by 2030, we're going to need to find another 50,000 people. What does the future look like as you consider healthcare and we look at the demand and the need that we have to fill jobs? Do you see us building more hospitals and clinics and, and facilities? Do you help us frame the impact on is 50,000 enough? Does it need to be more? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? I think we could we could get different perspectives on what the exact right number is, mm-hmm. but it's certain that we have a, a pretty big deficit that we're trying to solve in some of the ways that I that I mentioned earlier, and and that's just going to be a, a constant sort of struggle, I think, and, and an opportunity to be creative and, and creative both in terms of our partnerships and getting people into the outpatient space and and not having as many people in the hospital, which is better for their health, mm-hmm. um, and also to sort of treat the whole person and not wait for them to get sick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the answer to where we need more hospitals, I, I think that the verdict's probably out on that. I mean, I think we saw during the pandemic, we needed every bed we had yeah. <laughs> at, at a couple points. And I, I see, you know, routinely that hospitals are, are pretty full. Um, so the demand is going up. Think about the fact that every single day in this country, 10,000 people become Medicare eligible. Um, and then you stack that statistic against another one, which is that the United States graduates roughly 18,000 new doctors a year. That math doesn't quite work, right? Right. <laughs> Not enough doctors for all these people who are going to be retiring. And so that does force us to be creative. Again, strategies around telehealth, you know, employing what we call mid-levels, um, physician assistants and others mm-hmm. who can perform some of the functions that used to be exclusively the domain of a doctor. So we have to really think about all that kind of stuff or else those shortages will really get us. Here's the, here's the last thing I would say, that we need to do a better job of encouraging these careers early. Um, so I would say this is true of both health professionals and the trades is we need to get into schools, middle schools, elementary schools, and high schools and talk to kids and tell them what they can do. Tell them what's possible. When you and I were chatting before the show, um, you said we, we got we to gotta encourage these professions and be creative about how we do that. I think that's so important because these are, these are powerful, awesome jobs. They pay well and they're rewarding and they're important. seems like we should be able to encourage people to do them. Yeah. We, we look forward to partnering with you on, on that however we can to amplify your demand and needs and meet them with the demand and needs that we have as well. So I want to talk, uh, switch back a little bit to policy. One of the policy items that, that we engaged on with you as a partner uh, was Regulation 28, the state's 
Air Quality Control Commission move of adopting building and performance standards. And that, you know, kind of is an evolution of electrification. You talked earlier about profit margins or or net profit margins that being at 4%. And you talked earlier about the sustainable margin, uh, and that's moving in the wrong direction. Talk to us a little bit about, as you see kind of this electrification slash, you know, evolution of building and performance standards, those are real cost impacts for the medical industry. And how is that going to work given kind of how you're set up and the kind of expectation that hospitals and medical providers are just going to have to, you know, make these massive investments and upgrades? Yeah. What, what concerns you? What keeps you up at night? A lot of that concerns me. I mean, I think I, our hospitals want for sure to do to do the right thing and to do it the right way and to be environmentally responsible. Let's just look at a couple other statistics really quick. Between 2019 and 2022, costs for hospitals, mostly concentrated on labor, but also equipment and supplies, went up between 18% and 30%, depending on the estimates that you look at. Meanwhile, our reimbursement from public payers, which is Medicare and Medicaid, went up far lower, a couple percentage points in the case of Medicaid and not much more for Medicare and not even much more for commercial insurance. So mm-hmm. what you can see is that those costs have, our costs have gone way up, expenses are rising, and reimbursement or, or payment is, is not rising nearly at that level. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about new mandates that are going to impose serious new costs on hospitals um, and others and others across the state, um, just need to, again, really understand the cost-benefit analysis, the timing, mm-hmm. um, the timeline of those, kinds of, of those kinds of things, understanding what makes it more difficult or more complicated or different in a hospital than in other settings. So I just think all those, you know, all those factors need to be really understood before we kind of add yet another layer of, of new regulations and requirements. We appreciate uh, Catherine and Josh being part of that conversation, and we know that there's a lot more rulemaking that will take place next year, and we look forward to working with you on that as well. You brought up some data points, and so you know we plucked out some uh, you know data points from a draft study that's going to be released here. And so you know operating expenses – have increased. We're seeing 31% since 2020. Medical supplies, 35%. Labor costs, 33%. Population covered by public insurance in this state from 2008 to 2022 has, has risen 70%. You know, when you see that kind of math, like, how do y'all do it? I mean, how do how do the CEOs and the, the leadership structures in those facilities and, and, you know, within your sphere, how do they manage all those numbers? Because, you know, inflation is real and is, is impacting many sectors uh, of our lives. But, like, how do you do that with those big facilities? Well, very carefully and very thoughtfully. Yeah. Um, and understanding that at some point you can be as careful and as thoughtful and as smart and strategic as, as you can possibly be and still not be able to make it when those numbers are what they are. And so what are the consequences? The consequences of that are that service lines might have to be cut. Mm-hmm. People are accustomed to getting dialysis in a community or receiving some other kind of uh, cancer treatment or service that just wouldn't be there anymore because these numbers don't add up. Um, or worse, we see the closure of a hospital or a clinic or both. 
Um, and just in the year and a half that I've been in Colorado, we've already seen one hospital really on the verge of, of mm-hmm. closing. Thankfully, we were able to avert that. Um, and another one that's, you know, pretty on the bubble, as you said, and, and many more pretty close. So I, I think, um, it's a tenuous exercise. And, and for that reason, it's so important that it's understood that we have to reimburse healthcare providers appropriately for the work they do. And we have to make sure that we do that in a way that's sustainable mm-hmm. um, and with as little regulation on top of what we already have as possible so that we can get the job done for patients and, and do it without a lot of extra cost. Those are great perspectives. And uh, we welcome you back to Colorado. We're glad to have you back. We always love when a great to be here. Colorado person comes on our show for sure. So toughest question that you've had to answer so far. Okay. All right. So when you were a kid, Jeff didn't sit there and envision being the CEO of the hospital association, <laughs> I imagine. Tell I me, so. tell me, uh, what did you want to be when you were younger, when you wanted, when you grew up? So I think I started wanting to be a doctor. I remember going to Tattered Cover uh, the, when they had the huge bookstore in Cherry Creek uh-huh. and, and getting um, big books of like anatomy and stuff. And I, I was fascinated as a kid. Um, and then my grandmother was in the hospital and I learned that wasn't going to work. Um, I was just a little too squeamish for the whole medical thing. Then I thought I'd be a lawyer and that lasted for quite a while um, until I took a law class in college that I didn't do well. And I think the beauty of what I do now is that it really combines both. Yeah. Um, I'm not a doctor or a lawyer, but I get to kind of play both on TV sometimes and, um, and be you know, tangentially um, working with both. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a great job because it's, it's medicine and improving lives and then it's, it's law and policy. And, and improving communities in the state. So it's a great combo. Great. Well, um, that, sir, is going to conclude our show today. Thank you for coming on. We appreciate your being here with us today. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Please stay tuned for more industry insights, news, and information about the women and men building our communities, building our skylines, building our futures. Tradeswork is a production of the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association. For more information about our organization, please visit rmmca.org.